Well, we promised you Yishai Fleischer. Yishai Fleischer is international spokesman for the Jewish community of Hebron, plus, of course, many other titles, including broadcaster, journalist, etc. He's traveling now in the United States, and he joins us on this Wednesday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Yishai Shalom, and welcome back to JM in the AM. Nachem, how are you? What's going on? Baruch Hashem, everything is wonderful. I uh, I was thinking of you for a variety of reasons. <laughs> this crazy world of ours has uh, uh, gives us a lot to think about, to say the least. And frankly, I, I wanted to have you on yesterday, uh, and I'm glad at least it worked out for today, Baruch Hashem. As you know, yesterday, the 18th of Menachem Av was the anniversary of the 1929 Tarpat Massacre. 92 years. And I wanted to get your perspective as we move so further and further away from such an important and obviously very sad event in Jewish history. Um, a lot of people, because of the comfort and luxury that we're in, both here and in Israel especially, don't realize what life was like for Jews pre-state. What are your impressions when you think back of what happened in Hebron 92 years ago? Well, you know, uh, the, the way that you framed it, is that, uh, you know, now we kind of don't remember the, the horrors of the past because of the comfort of today. That might be true in a lot of parts of the Jewish world, uh, if it's in America and, and a lot of parts of Israel as well. But in Hebron, you still remember it very well. If you, if you come to Hebron, the reason you remember it well is because uh, that massacre, which was headed up by a, a very bad dude by the name of Hajimin al-Husseini, he was the Mufti of Jerusalem, um, and he taught the Arabs there... He taught them Nazi-like um, hate for Jews. And I say the word Nazi specifically because he actually became a Nazi. Right. He became an active member of the Nazi party and was the head, uh, one, one of the heads of the Bosnian SS, which ended up killing 40,000 Jews. So he had a long career of hating Jews and killing Jews. The problem is, is uh, today in Hebron, the mayor of Hebron, is a, is a guy by the name of Tiasir Abu Snena, and he himself had a hand in murdering six Jews in 1980. Today he's the head of the city, the mayor of the town. So in, in Hebron, that kind of attitude and that kind of jihadist hate for, for the Jewish people is still prevalent. It's far from everybody in Hebron. We have many Arabs who, are, uh, who in 1929 saved Jews, and even today we have many Arabs who are you know, pro-state of Israel and certainly not... not, not uh, looking to murder Jews in the, in the Nazi fashion, and yet there are plenty who are. Uh, yeah. And so, and we see them, and we hear them, and they attack our community, and we, we fight off um, stabbing attacks and shooting attacks, etc., you know, on a weekly basis. So what can I tell you? Uh, it's not like that ideology is gone, and moreover, it has shifted today from just knives and guns to also trying to erase Jewish history, and so we see um, the, the, the Ben and Jerry's thing. Ben and Jerry's called to stop, uh, they decided to stop selling ice cream in what they call the occupied Palestinian territories. They even came up with this Rashi uh, Tevot, OPT, the occupied Palestinian territories. And they're telling the world the Jews don't belong in Judea and Samaria, which really means, by the way, it always really means Jews don't belong in Israel. Because if we don't belong in Hebron, and if we don't belong in so-called East Jerusalem, which is the Kotel and the Temple Mount, then we certainly don't belong in Tel Aviv because right. they're undermining all of our history. So, so that's, it's just code, really. It's just code language. So in some ways, you know, Israel today is a fabulous country, and you were, you were in Israel last week while I was here. 
uh, in, in Florida and in Texas. Um, um, and so, so I'm jealous of you a little bit. Um, <laughs> some people would, some people would say you've chosen well, Florida and Texas. <laughs> some, some might say the only right. two normal states still around. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. No, it is fun to to to, to travel here. Uh, but just to finish off that last point, you know, Israel is really doing so so well, and yet some of that old hate is is very popular today. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so it's out there. Uh, with regarding to Texas. It is a great state, and I want to tell you one of the things I love about this state is Texas pride. I just love it. You go into the store, and they have uh, shirts that say, I love this shirt. There's a, a famous song by, you play Jewish music, but there's a, a famous artist named Garth Brooks, and he's got this song that starts, Blame It All on My Roots. So they have this like shirt that says, Blame It All on My Roots. And I was like, that's what we need in Hebron. You know, blame yeah. it on my roots. Yeah. It's, it's the fathers and the mothers. Anyway, it's great to be down here with, with the good <laughs> Texas pride. It's, uh, it's some, I was in Palestine, Texas. I went to Palestine. Okay. Yeah, I went there on purpose to make a video and to take pictures and to, and to just hang out there. And, and guess what? Palestinians from Palestine, Texas, they are as pro-Israel as you can get. Uh, with 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 a belief in the Tanakh and a, and, a, and a belief in the God of Israel, so uh, Palestinians, I, I I wanted to make a video that Palestinians stand with Israel. Yeah, no doubt. I, I have no trouble believing that. It's funny you say about the roots. Whenever someone says to me, "You're so tall," I always say, "I blame my parents." So when people <laughs> when people yell at us for the love of Hebron, we should blame our parents for that as well. Uh, and of course, you just reminded me that uh, the person or one of the people responsible for the murder of my friend Shmuel Mermelstein in 1980 is now the mayor of Hebron. Something to keep in mind mm. when we think of the uh, and, and of course, I've had the I would call it honor of of sleeping in Beit Hashisha, which of course is named for the victims of that night, uh, Shabbat night, Lagba Omer weekend back in 1980. Uh, Yishai Fleischer is with us. He's speaking to us from the United States. I had a. Um, I I, I I was so curious about your your um, lessons from COVID and not really, you know, whether the prime minister and other leaders in this world are doing the right or wrong thing. I mean, the fact that you're hanging out in Texas probably gives you a better perspective regarding how things should be handled COVID-wise. But, I mean, the, you know, when we look back now at, you know, God uh, engineering the closure of the world, so to speak, for a year and a half, or at least, you know, some type of closure – for a year and a half, and the restrictions on travel. And most importantly, and you shy, this is where I really want to get your comment, most importantly, where Jews in the diaspora have recently, since the establishment of the state, and certainly since 1967, have always had the attitude, if something goes wrong, I have a passport. If something goes wrong, I, I can always get to the Holy Land to get to protection, to a protective atmosphere. And then, of course, we've seen, I could tell you how tough it is, even for a guy like me with siblings in Israel, how tough it is to still get into the Holy Land right now. I'd like to get your perspective on those of us who mistakenly felt if anything goes wrong, we could immediately get to the Holy Land. Yeah. Well, I'd like to speak candidly on, on this topic, and it's um, uh, there's, there's a lot of issues here. First and foremost, let's just remember that real people were, were hurt and, and, and people died from this disease, continue to die. Uh, and so, like, before we talk about it in any other way, I just want to make it clear that, that like, our heart goes out to the people who, who were infected, who were hurt by this thing. I know many people that one way or another were quite seriously hurt and injured uh, through this thing and loss of life. So that's, that's like, the first, that's the first thing, and we all have to pray that, that Hashem gets rid of this disease uh, out of this world. That's, that's number one. Uh, number two is, for me, the minute this thing struck, 
the minute it struck, Akush Baruch put in my mind the thought that this is like a Shemitah year. It's like a Shemitah year. It's like a, it's like a year where, where things are left fallow, like the Torah says, the seventh year. And, and I just understood that this was a time for me, and I'm talking myself personally, right. to go into the house, to spend time with my kids, and to write and to do other things and to just take it easy and, and enjoy. Let, let this strange situation kind of like wash over me. And I, I personally, unlike some of my friends, had a great year. I just enjoyed it so much, uh, that, that personal time with the family. Uh, we weren't stuck in a city. We were outside. We were in, you know, in Gushetzion, and, and there was still room to breathe and to go, and to go out. Other friends of mine, though, I have to tell you, suffered either from actual COVID or from a type of COVID derangement syndrome, which was either the kind that my germy friends, people who are, and I don't mean this derogative in a derogatory manner at all, people who feared, you know, getting sick, got hyper, hyper nervous. And then the other kind, my, let's call them the range of spectrum between anti-vaxxers and, and freedom-type people who don't want, you know, government oversight. Really, some of them actually flipped out. I have, I have good friends who, like, really, really mentally suffered during this time because they just felt that there was coercion, that the whole thing was a lie, and that the, the narrative was, was, you know, telling them something that it's not, and certain medicines were, were not being given. And they just they got so deeply into it. And they, they got very upset, and instead of kind of having a peaceful year, they had a very upset year. Now, with regarding to what you specifically wanted to know about, about Jews in the diaspora, I was, at first, for the first year of this, that, and that's the other part, it was, it's now been over a year. The, the, the one year, I think, was okay, you know, we were able to deal with it, but now it's becoming, like, too much. And so I have friends also in the tourism industry, and my tourism friends, like my good friend Mayor Eisman, uh, whose family's from Passaic, you know, he's a great, wonderful, amazing tour guide, uh, for, especially for the Haredi sector, and with a great love of Eretz Israel. He says to me, Ishai, this is absurd. We should make, a, uh, we should make it so that Jews um, should have an easier time coming here. What is this restriction? So at first, I, was, I saw the positive side to it, a little bit of what you were hinting at, which is, let Jews know that Eretz Israel is not Disney World, that you could come to it at any time. Right. And maybe the absence makes the heart grow fonder, and maybe the realization that, like, it's not always yours for, you know, the, the holy vacation that I wanted to take, with the food vacation that I want to go to Eretz Israel, and, you know, and that kind of attitude where it's like this, like, playground for Yiddishkeit and for, for my summer, or whatever it is. It's more of a place that we have to do, earn, develop, mm-hmm. fight for, etc. But now it's starting to go the other way, which is it's like it's like a year and a half, and people are like, "Hey, you know, like State of Israel, like wh- why are you, why are you keeping us out so so stringently? Like so keep, find us ways to to come into the land." Uh, now Israeli leaders, you know, are trying to protect Israel from from getting sick. I understand them, but it's really a a, a tough situation, and people here are, uh, you know, people here in the United States. I, I could see that they're. That they're really, uh, as we say, halishing, really yearning for, uh, for a chance to, to get back. One thing that I can tell you also is an interesting cor- 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 correlation, maybe correlated, is that purchase of property in the land of Israel by American Jews has skyrocketed. Right. Uh, that's a fact. Right. Uh, I don't know if it's correlated, but it's a fact that it has skyrocketed. People just sense that 
they have to have their and when I go around speaking now, I don't even I don't even tell people like make Aliyah. I just say buy an apartment in Israel. It's right. good for your money. It's good for your future. And people are like, you're right. So, so all all together, all together, what can I tell you, Nachum? It's it's a wild it's a wild situation. Don't the, don't, don't go a, down and don't a lot of the people in Hebron need the tourism industry to return? Not just the guides, but in general, you. You know, you you may go through another Sukkot now, where where there aren't tens of thousands of people visiting the holy city, and that could that could only be to the detriment of the people living there. One hundred percent, and 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 we just just on in our internal groups, we were just discussing Chai Sarah. Is Chai Sarah like happening or or, or not happening? Uh, are people going to be coming or not coming? So, and, La- and last, you know, I last, already, I, last year Chai Sarah was just completely empty, like completely canceled. Yes, it, yes, it was completely canceled. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, it was completely. It was. It was. You know what I mean. It was. It was. It was. It was bereft of her children. You know that type of thing. But okay, for one year, you know, right. you could stand the mishugas. But like now, it's starting to be. It's starting to go over that shemitah year and starting to uh, to go long. Um, and look, you can be. There's different sides of the discussion. Is it? Is it just? Are we doing the right thing by by keeping the country safe by not letting people from the outside in? Uh, my my good friends, you know swear up and down that that's not right, that we have to uh, allow more people to come back in and we you have know, to kind of break, you know, break the siege. It's funny because this morning, earlier this morning during the show, I commented on the air without referencing Shemitah. I commented on the air that now that we realize this is going to be a lot, I mean, it's summer. Everyone assumed that, you know, even though it didn't happen last summer, everyone assumed that with summer now, you know, things would really ease up in terms of the uh, Delta variant, that it wouldn't be as serious. Everyone, for some reason, I shouldn't say everyone, but us lay people, for some reason, always think the winter, you know, lends itself to more of serious health situations. Um, and, and it's not happening the way we predicted and not happening the way we hoped. And now it's going to be a lot more than a year. And this may be, I mean, pandemics last. Pandemics last for a while. There, there are four, three, four, and five-year cycles of these things. So I think we just, I, I, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to encourage, you know, people around the world to start putting pressure on public officials to figure out responsible ways. You know, you could do a Chaye Sara, just as an example, with PCR testing, with proof of vaccination. I mean, there's a way to at least, you know, stem the tide and almost guarantee that you're going, you know, beyond the call of duty to make sure that the crowd is protected. I, I, I just don't think our public officials see it that way. That's all. Yeah. Um, it's, it's such a tricky topic because, I, you know, because there's like, because I, I keep my ears open and I hear like both sides and they're right. so strident in their, in their perspectives. So, look, I flew on an airplane just now with, with my three kids, and they all had masks on the whole time. On the other hand, when people asked me to vaccinate my, my, my young children, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. It's, I'm just, it's, not, it's not ready. It's not tested. I'm not, it, this thing doesn't attack children, seriously. So, what, you know, I'm not going to put something in my children's body that, that I'm not ready for. Right. To do a high sorrow with PCR testing it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting idea. Um, you may not get to 20,000 people, but you may get 2,000 people. Who knows? Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yishai Fleisch is with us, international spokesman of the Holy City of Hebron, and, of course, uh, many other distinguished positions. He's now traveling in the United States. Um, finally, Yishai, and um, I-, I mentioned to you off the air that, uh, <sighs> uh, I mean, any time I could reference my dear, dear brother and friend, Mayor Weingarten of Blessed Memory, I take the opportunity to do so. And this is the type of thing I would have brought up with him on the air. And uh, t- and today you're going to assume that role, my friend, and I thank you for that. Uh, I'm in Israel last week, and y- y- you're going to think this is nuts. And when I would bring up these topics, he sometimes would think I was crazy. 
but I'm I'm flying on the plane and you know checking out the videos that they have online. And there, I mean, I'm, I don't even know if you know about this because I don't know if you're into TV at all. But there's a show in the United States called Cash Cab, okay? And the idea, okay. the idea is someone gets into a cab in New York and and it turns into a game show, you know, completely unbeknownst. Yeah, we have it in Israel. Okay. We so, have it also. So in Israel they call it, and so I'm watching the Israeli version, which I'd never seen before until this trip. It's called... Um, I think it's called Monit Kesef. I think it's called Monit Kesef, if I'm not mistaken. Or Kesef Monit, whatever it is. Anyway. Yeah. So I'm watching this show, and I, I am always fascinated with the with the amount of with, with the, I am always fascinated with the incredible connection, and I hope I say this right because I don't want to insult anybody. The incredible connection that the completely disconnected Jew in Israel has to Judaism. Right. I, I'm I'm always fascinated with the topic. Mayor and I discussed it a million times in a variety of manners. You watch TV in Israel, and it, it's unbelievable how culturally Jewish and culturally religious so many things are on television, even though it's being presented by people who are not ritually observant. And I'm right. watch, I'm watching this cash cab Israeli edition, and half the questions are about Tanakh, Jewish history, the Hebrew language. Obviously, they ask questions about, you know, uh, Academy Awards and movies as well. But it's unbelievable to me to watch these Israelis with, you know, who are coming from a club in Tel Aviv late at night and hopping into a cab and are dressed in a manner that none of us want any of our kids to dress. <laughs> and and they are completely fluent in so many of these topics. They have so much Judaism within them, even though they are not ritually observant. You must give me your reaction to this. Well, first thing, it is a great show, and it's also a funny <laughs> show. It's called Monit HaKesef. It's ah. a good show, and the, the host is just, he's good, he's funny, uh, and you do get to meet it. My wife watches another show, which is the, the MasterChef show, uh-huh. and, and there you see also such Judaism come out of the food, the culture where you came from, and the, my house, and my parents made Kiddush, and I won't make non-kosher food in, in the show, and et cetera, et cetera. Very, you, know, you do get to see it a lot. Uh, I think, I think Nachum, part of the answer is that there's something in this world that happens organically, holistically, through the place that you live. It just comes out of the ground. Just like here in Texas, you could feel that Texas pride. Uh, and, and in all places, you know, the, the culture just seeps through. Uh, in Eretz Israel, uh, even though the school system in the secular world is not, you know, strongly uh, Jewish, it's not, it's not, you know, I don't think it's doing a great job teaching, you know, the basics of Judaism, still through the home and through the land, it just seeps in. And you, if you look at Israeli politics, Israeli politics is moving all the time more towards the nationalistic, towards the religious. Right. There's, everybody admits this, that there's a movement to the, to the, what they call the right side of the spectrum. Right. And so, so Jews are, are, are in, a, in an organic kind of way coming back to their roots. And they're interested in their roots. Plus, plus, for God's sakes, the story of Israel is the greatest story ever told. But, but, it's but the most exciting. But sometimes when how, how can you not know it? Right. But and, you know? and again, I don't want to. I'm trying not to criticize, but I'm trying to open up people's eyes. Those of us on this side of the world who are ritually observant will often look, you know, with a certain disdain to those who are not, especially those who live in Israel, and they need to know that those kids 
that I just described earlier, know Hebrew better than your kids. I don't mean you. I mean the kids here in America. Know Hebrew better than your kids. Know more Tanakh than the people you know in your family. Are more familiar with and you know and and feel a certain way about what you just said, kiddish and other ritually observant things. Um, you know, than people here do, even though, again, their day may not be completely filled with, you know, what we would, what we, we, you know, 100% observant. And, and you know, this, right. th- tomorrow the Israel baseball team takes the field against South Korea. The Israel baseball team, when they remove their caps, at least this is what happened here in New York, when they remove their caps for the anthems, etc., they're wearing yarmulkes. They don't have to. A cap is sufficient. You don't have to have a yarmulke. But they feel that they're representing the Jewish people. When I spoke to tomorrow, to tomorrow's starting pitcher on the air, which happened a few weeks ago, I don't even know if it's been announced yet that he's the starter, but I happen to know. <laughs> when I spoke to him on the air, he, he, he's from a he's from a simply Israel-connected family from California. That's it. That's the extent of his Judaism. Mm-hmm. And he decided he's going to become an Israeli citizen and takes representing the Jewish people on the field so seriously. I was in I was in uh, the Ilan Ramon Memorial in the Negev a few weeks ago, and and you know mm-hmm. he 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 knew the importance. And he knew the the seriousness of saying Kiddush in space, even though he may not have yeah. said Kiddush every week in his house because he knew he was representing the Jewish people. And I think all of this has to be emphasized. Ilan uh, Ramon was an amazing Kiddush Hashem maker. I was just in the Kennedy Space Center uh, and saw his, his kind of biography uh, memorial page there, um, and it just talks about all the stuff that he did to show his, his Jewish and Israeli pride. It's important to remember that Elon Ramon was also a big fighter for right. Israel. He was the Air Force, uh, one of the on the right, but he was in the bomb squadron right. that that took out the Osirak bomb. He was the youngest guy there, and because he was the youngest and unmarried, they put him last right. because uh, the, he was the most expendable in that sense. Right. <laughs> and and he made it out of there. Uh, yeah, he, he, he was a great Kiddush Hashem, and, and if you watch Israeli TV today, you will find a lot of Orthodox people in key positions, like, uh, like Sivan Rahav Meir, for example, and people are watching these people, and they see it, and they're, just, they're attracted to Judaism. It's a more full identity when you have the land of Israel, the people of Israel following the, the Torah and the God of Israel, looking up at the, at the God of Israel above, and, and people are just, it, there's more of a yearning for that today. Yerushalayim is taking a more prevalent role in, in, in Israeli identity. Uh, Tel Aviv continues to be, you know, what they call the Merkaz, the center. But still, though, there is, there is a tendency towards Judaism. Uh, and I'm glad that you see it that way. For me, I also see it that way, but I would love to see it expand even more. Right. Uh, no, um, I, uh, you, you know, I agree with you on that. You know, I agree with you. Right. By when the I, way, when I, when I go to the when I go to the army, I find I kind of quiz my my friends, uh, my colleagues, and I'm uh, sometimes I'm just like, Ush, like, right. like they have a sense for it, but but uh, but it's not. Uh, I'll give you a few examples. Just Shavuot, for example. Shavuot is people just don't know exactly what Shavuot is about. They know it's the you know it's the it, it became culturally like the the holiday that you eat milk, right. milk products. Okay, which is great, but like even more. But your point is is that Judaism uh, is is alive and well, especially in in the in the secular world. Here in America, if you're very secular, you assimilate out. Yeah. Um, you assimilate out, or, or for my purposes as a more politically oriented person, I see that if you're assimilated and you don't have the historic and biblical knowledge, you're more likely to be a victim of 
propaganda that tells you, for example, that Hebron is an Arab city where a few crazy Jews have moved right. into and tried to take away Palestinian land. If you, if you don't know much historically or haven't been there as a soldier, if you haven't had those experiences, you're much more likely to be a victim. And, and in fact, uh, this guy Isa Amru, who's a big anti-Israel activist from Hebron, uh, Arab uh, anti-Israel activist, uh, he, they wrote an article about him in Tablet Magazine, and he says pretty much overtly, he says, yeah, my target now is American Jews. And, and in parentheses, he didn't quite say it. He said it in a different way, but it's like they don't know much, and I have much more they're the ability more, to they're, they're, brainwash they're them. More, they're more malleable. Exactly. Uh, well, what can I tell you? By the way, you heard this rumor that uh, – I, I should be careful saying this publicly, but I'll try to get away with it. You heard this rumor that now they're davening mincha every day on the uh, on Harabayit without sidurim, but uh, it's not a rumor. I've done it myself. What's the story? <laughs> what happened? What happened that they're allowing we've been, it now? We've been, we've been. It's it's for, it's not it's not it hasn't it's not created by the new government. The new government has not stopped it, but uh, but it hasn't been created by the new government. In the last two years, uh, there's been. In general, there's been a huge push towards normalization on the Temple Mount. And there's been created a yeshiva, mamash, at the entrance of the Temple Mount. And, and Rabbi uh, Eliyahu, what's his last name? I forgot right now. Um, and we go up there, and they've been just stepping back and letting us do our thing. I, I had the, I'm telling you, the greatest, one of the greatest chutz in my life was two Rosh Hashanahs ago that I went up both days in the morning, instead of going to shul, I went up to Harabayit, and there were Jews there. Nachum, you will not believe it, young Jews who knew the whole <gasps> davening by heart, oh including, including the way you say the bracha on, on Harabayit, which is different, and they knew the Kriyata Torah and the Haftorah all by heart, and they, we said the whole thing, including the Akedah, including reading the Akedah. <gasps> we did the whole davening. It was... Oh. It was it was it was really it, it was it was breathtaking. I mean I mean if we step back and think about what we're talking about, it's really crazy. It's like in the heart of the Jewish world, in the heart of the land of Israel, in the capital of the Jewish state, in Jerusalem, we're talking about the big deal of being able to pray right. in the Temple Mount. It right. should be pshita. It should right. be, it right. should be, should be a non-issue. Right. But uh, and even the Supreme Court has backed it. Right. But, uh, but the bottom line is, is that it's been more and more normalized, and there is prayer on the Temple Mount. And you know what? You, your first concern right now was, should I say it publicly, lest we ruin this thing? But I want you to know that the Temple Mount people always say, no, we should say it out loud that this is what we're doing, and this is what we're pushing for, and this is the right thing. So I'm glad we're discussing it. Wow. What you just told me. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, my mom made Aliyah, uh, what is it now, five years ago, and she has become a a Temple Mount activist, Temple Mount Jew. She's up there, mamish once a week, bringing people up. And, uh, and he, my mom has strengthened my resolve to be uh, a, a more dedicated Temple Mount person. For example, the, uh, the, the newspaper Makori Shon, which is one of Israel's top papers, but leans more to the right and to the national, to the religious, um, has a page every, every Friday, which is called Dafabite, which means the homepage, but also means the, the, the page of Harabite. Uh, and there's a guy named there uh, by the name of Segal, and he, uh, he, he just put out a book about Harabite, and it's becoming more... He, now on Tisha B'Av, I was there on Tisha B'Av, we went up 2,000 people. Uh, I, I brought my two sons up there. 
At the same time, the Arabs are sensing this, and they are stepping up violence to stop people from going up to the Temple Mount, and it should be given credit to the Bennett government that this uh, particular Tishabov at 6.30 in the morning, they were already throwing rocks, and the, and the order was given. The police went in their chazak, they went in their strong, and pushed back on the, on the terrorists and allowed, up, uh, allowed Jews to pray on, on, uh, on the Temple Mount, which was an important test. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's, listen, there are some rabbis who are against it. I know that some listeners might say, is it us or is it not? Uh, my rabbis, including Rabbi Moshe Dovah Tendler, he should be healthy and well. He's going through some stuff right now uh, in America. And many of my rabbis, uh, uh, Rabbi Nachum Rabinovich, Alava Shalom, and many others, uh, you know, promote the rights of Jews and the importance of Jews to pray on the Temple Mount. And I am proudly one of those people. Well, I, I, we, we've said for years, uh, we encourage people to go to the halachically permissible areas of the Temple Mount. Simple as that. I think anybody who's banned it completely was doing it only because of a you know, a get there only because they wanted to make sure no one ever goes close to the uh, improper, you know, places where it would not be proper to go. But certainly, you just said Rabbi Tendler, I mean, he, he'll be the first to tell you that there are halakhically, um, uh, practically, there are halakhically uh, approved places to go to on the Temple Mount, and I'm assuming that that's where you generally hang out. Absolutely. So there you no, go. Nobody, here, nobody here is trying to do Kiddush Hashem through Chil Hashem. It's not a mitzvah vav avera. We right. do it through the permissible ways. Uh, but at the same time, there's also, on, on, top of, on top of the wondrousness of coming close to the, to, to the Mount of God, to the house of God, and therefore to God himself, there's also something called kibush. We have to, we have right. to, we have to, there's, there's a fight to capture this place and to not let it be uh, the, the realm of, of, uh, of, of the people who want to deny our, our very presence in this land. Yeah. Not in, making, simple, in simple words, we, we, we have to push back on the jihad in simple yeah, terms. Not making the same mistake of 50-plus years ago. Uh, Yishai, sure. can't thank you enough. Uh, enjoy your stay in the United States, and, uh, of course, enjoy your return to the Holy Land, and we look forward to seeing you and speaking to you in the holy city of Hebron. God bless you. Uh, I'm, I'm, again, I'm a little bit jealous that you got a chance to fly in, and I'm glad. <laughs> uh, that, how, how was that, Elon Ramon? Uh, did you go down to the airport? Is that where you went? No, I went. You, we, new- you know the Mahtesh? Uh, you know, yeah. you know where Breshit is on the edge of the uh, crater. So, right, sure. literally, right there, Mitzpah Ramon. Uh, there's a uh, there's a an unbelievable memorial tribute to him. I mean, the entire building is dedicated to him, and they have it's a museum with artifacts and items and history and great videos, and it, it was just wonderful. It was incredible. That's uh, I'm gonna. I have not been there. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go there when I come back because of your recommendation. Thank and you. also we have a new. And we have a new airport in the south. Yes, close named, to named for him and which, his son, right? Right. Exactly. The yeah. the Ramon Airport. And let's let's pray that this COVID business or our leaders, you know, either COVID goes away or our leaders wake up, and let's allow not just not just one airport to be full, but two airports at least uh, in the Holy Land to to welcome all the folks from around the world, especially the Jewish people. Back to Israel. Amen to that. And by the way, Chayasara this year would be relatively early, right? It would be really early in the calendar. If yeah. I'm, if I'm yeah, looking, yeah, yeah. if I'm looking now, it's uh, let's see. Hey, give me a second. It would be it would be the thirtieth of October. Wow, that is an early Chayasara, thirtieth of October. Let's hope and pray. Mm-hmm. Let's hope and pray we reunite in the holy city of Hebron for that one, Yishai. Okay. I, I, if if you if you want it, just tell me. I'll I'll hook you up with the through the Hebron Fund. Hook you up with a with a VIP uh, bed there. Which is like you know VIP in Hebron Chaisar is like two star in a regular. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, deba- I'm debating now if I should challenge you on the two star thing and go a little lower, but okay. <laughs> but we'll get you in there, as they say in Texas. Yishai, God bless you. God bless you, Nachum. Thanks so much for having me on, and God bless you. We'll see you soon.
Always a pleasure. Yishai Fleischer, everybody. Unbelievable. More coming up. It's a Wednesday at JM in the AM.